Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story reading. Our Sacred Scripture reading today comes from the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, verses 1 through 5. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, let me just pause there for a second and just remind us where we're at in the story. Israel was in captivity in Egypt for 400 years, and they have left Egypt. The Lord delivered them, crossed the Red Sea, and now they find themselves in the wilderness. And after wandering in the wilderness for about three months, they end at the holy mountain, Mount Sinai, where the Lord first showed up to Moses in a burning bush. And now they are meeting on Mount Sinai to hear the instruction from the Lord about how they should live. And so this is what part of what God is instructing Moses to tell the people. So the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am giving you, the land shall observe a Sabbath for the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in their field. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your unpruned vine. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. We are starting a series that I am calling Church Is dot dot dot. What is the church? What is the church all about? What's the mission, the calling of the church? And I don't just mean what are the four walls supposed to look like and where should we place the altar and where should the organ be or should we have an organ? Don't mean that kind of what the church is. Is it a social club? Is it a gathering place? Is it a community center? Those are all really important questions and questions that impact how we utilize the resources we have, but I want to zoom out the 30,000 foot level. I want to zoom way out and ask the big question, what is the church? What are we called to be? And here's another way of framing it. What's the story we want to be telling? When we think about who we are in the community, when we think about the way that we want to impact the world, what is the story we are telling about why we exist in this place, in this time? So that's the question. That's the dot, dot, dot. Church is what? 
Now, to get us started today, I am going to share with you three stories of Halloween as we go throughout this message. And I want to start with a story from my own childhood. Now, when I was young growing up, we didn't have a ton of resources. You know, there was often some expectations or rules around what we had and didn't have and how much we were to get and not have. And so when it came to things like having candy in the house or treats in the house, it was usually parceled out pretty evenly and pretty minimally. And so if there was, you know, a, a bag of fun size M&Ms that we could, you know, grab, it was, okay, you get one and you get one and you get one. You don't take two. You don't ask for three. You don't just grab a handful. You get one, you get one, you get one. And it was because we wanted the resource that we had, the little that we did, to last a little while and not just be gone in a blink of an instant because we knew that that was all we were going to get for a while. And so Halloween was a pretty awesome holiday because we got to go around and get lots of candy. But of course, we would have to parcel that out and make sure it lasted for quite a while. Usually, uh, hopefully until Easter, because that was the next time we got lots of candy, but I digress. So on Halloween, we're going around and we have this expectation of we just take one, right? That's like this kind of humble mentality that we have. It's a good, healthy way of, of, of engaging things. Don't expect too much and just be respectful. You know, not everybody can afford gobs and gobs of candy. But then you get to that one house, right? And you look inside the box because every kid looks inside the bag of candy or the box of candy or whatever, the bowl, right? You look inside the bowl and you kind of want to see, okay, am I just going to reach in and accidentally grab the Hershey bar that just tastes like some generic milk chocolate that no one really likes? Or am I going to find the Reese's peanut butter cup, right? And sometimes when you look inside there, not only do you see the Reese's peanut butter cup, but you also see the peanut M&Ms. You see that yellow package of peanut M&Ms and you see the orange packet of the Reese's peanut butter cup. And then you pause and you hesitate and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm eight years old and I have to make a life-altering decision about which candy I'm going to prioritize the most. And so you look in your own basket to see how much do I already have. Oh man, I already have an equal disbursement of Reese's peanut butter cups and peanut M&Ms. And now I got to choose between the two in this other bucket. Oh, what's a, what's a little guy to do? And so you look in there and the person that's holding the bucket sees your conundrum. They see you processing and they look at you and they say, why don't you just take a few? And your brain explodes because you can't imagine taking more than one. And you reach in and you grab both the peanut M&M and the Reese's peanut butter cup and you put them in your bucket. And then as you do that, the person at the house reaches in and grabs the Kit Kat and throws that in your bucket as well. And you think that you've suddenly transported from Halloween to Christmas and you cannot believe the gift that has been given because you are operating with a sense of candy abundance. And that's the first story that I want us to focus on when it comes to the story of who the church is. It's a story of abundance. We just got done reading about Moses on Mount Sinai getting the instruction from the Lord about how they should live as a people. Now, I have to remember that back when they were in slavery in Egypt, there was no day off. There was no rhythm to life. It was work, 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 bricks, bricks, bricks. Slavery was an everyday occurrence. Remember when Moses first went to Pharaoh, he didn't ask for the people to be liberated. He said, can we take a few days to go out into the wilderness and worship our God? And Pharaoh's like, no, 
You need to work every day, and now I'm going to make that work even more intense for you. And so this, this mentality of work, 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 no day off, no rhythm, there's no humanity in that. There's no autonomy in that. There is no freedom in that. There is no rhythm to life. And so when they get out into the wilderness, when God liberates them from Egypt, one of the first things that God does is not only feed them with manna from heaven, but God says, you can only, you will collect this bread that I'm going to give you for six days. And on the sixth day, you're going to collect two portions because on the seventh day, you need a break. The seventh day, you don't collect any food. The seventh day, you rest because humanity needs rest. What God is doing for the people is helping them get on rhythm. And in order to get on rhythm, in order to trust that this rest is possible, we have to believe there is enough. We have to believe that there will be enough for the rest to take place. In order for rest to exist, there has to be provision for that day. We have to live with a mindset that there will be enough. That's what it means to be human. And it's not just about a weekly thing, but it's also about a seasonal and yearly rhythm to life. That is what God is calling people to. And so in Leviticus, we read about this six-in-one Sabbath rhythm for the land, that the land itself, earth itself, needs to rest. In order to do that, we need to trust in the story of abundance. Not only was Israel supposed to trust in this weekly rhythm of six-in-one with a day of rest, in this yearly rhythm of six years of harvests and crops in the vineyard and in the fields, and then allowing the land to lie at rest. But they were supposed to have this seven times seven year of Jubilee where everything gets reset. So God was designing this pattern of life that allowed for equity. It allowed for people to be liberated from their debts, to be liberated from the ways in which you know, harvest didn't come in. There was famine in the area. The natural disasters came and, and, and hindered the growth of crops or the, the flocks and the fields to be, you know, fruitful and to, to have younglings and all the things. And, and so there was this rhythm that every 50 years they were to celebrate a year of Jubilee and the land was to be returned to the families as it originally was given out. And it was a way for the community to have equality and for someone to not acquire too much over the course of their lifetime, that there was a giving back and a resetting. The problem is that Israel had no problem celebrating a weekly Sabbath. And Israel seems to have done a good job of honoring the six-in-one yearly rhythm of a Sabbath or a sabbatical year, but the problem is that they never seem to have celebrated a year of Jubilee. And so when we look at the story we find in Leviticus chapter 25, the land is supposed to lie at rest and debts are meant to be forgiven. This is what Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee are all about. And so here's the challenge for us today. What does it look like for us? What if God is calling us to be a people of the Sabbath year, to celebrate a year of Jubilee? What's it look like for us to let the land lie at rest? What does it look like for us for debts to be forgiven? I got to be honest with you. 
I don't know of many churches or nonprofits that have a healthy understanding of these ideas either. I don't think Israel always did a great job of this historically in the text, as we see in the Hebrew scriptures. And I don't think we as the church have a good idea of what this could look like either. And so I want us to be challenged. I want us to spend some time in the next year thinking about what could it look like to be a people of the Sabbath year? What could it look like to be a people that celebrate the year of Jubilee? And the problem with celebrating a Sabbath year and and operating with that abundant mindset and celebrating the year of Jubilee where debts are forgiven and, and, and people are treated with equality and equity is is that we often operate with a scarcity mindset. And that leads me to story number two. Story number two of Halloween is that after all the kiddos go Halloween hunting, right? They go from house to house and they collect all this candy. They come back and they use this M word that tends to be the bane of every parent's existence, right? They use this M word and the word is mine. So they go from house to house receiving free candy from strangers or neighbors, depending on who and what neighborhood you might find yourself in. And then they come home and suddenly it goes from this very generous, beautiful endeavor of community engagement and and support. And we're all feeling like we're a part of this big dynamic thing to suddenly it's this scarcity mindset of this is my candy and I have to protect it at all costs. And why do I have to protect it? Because my evil, awful parents or grandparents or whoever I find myself living with or under the protection of typically will say, now you only get to have one a day or maybe two a day. We have to make this last. We have to make this, you know, stretch out for a little bit of time because it's a ways until Thanksgiving and Christmas or Easter, right? And so this candy becomes mine. It's my candy. And, and the, and there's a sense of if it goes away, then I won't have any and I will be less than. I'll be left out. And so I have to make sure that not only is my candy protected by me, but I got to make sure that I have more than you do right? And so suddenly candy becomes this, instead of an abundant commodity, it becomes this scarce commodity. It almost becomes this way of of an economy within children, right? You might have kids like mine who tend to trade candy. And sometimes they're not only trading it like, oh, I like, I like this kind of candy and you like that kind of candy, let's swap. But sometimes it's like, hey, I'll give you three pieces of candy if you do my chores for me. Or I'll give you four pieces of candy and then I'll let you use the Xbox. Or whatever it is, suddenly candy becomes this scarce commodity and we'd start to live within a scarcity mindset. And a scarcity mindset transforms the way we are in relationship to ourselves and to other people. A scarcity mindset transforms the way we're in relationship to ourselves and other people. And we see this all the time in society. Because here's the thing about candy. You didn't do anything to earn that candy. Yeah, sure, you put on a costume and you dressed up and you went door to door and you said trick or treat. But but there's a lot of other factors that went into you getting that candy. Number one, you had to have a family or parents or guardians or whoever, grandma and grandpa, aunt or uncle or somebody who allowed that to happen, right? They didn't make you stay home. They didn't say we don't believe in Halloween. They allowed you to go do that. Typically, you have to wear a costume. You didn't earn that costume. You didn't buy that costume. Maybe you made that costume, but you didn't afford the resources to make that costume unless you went rummaging through the garbage for it. You 
got that costume by means of someone else. And so the costume in which you are doing the trick-or-treating in is not one that you provided, but it's been one that was given to you or provided for you. The candy that you received was not something that you earned. Sure, you did the legwork. You walked up to the house. You rang a doorbell. And then you said the magic words, trick or treat. And hopefully you said the words, please and thank you as well. But let's be honest, you didn't buy the candy. You didn't supply the candy. It was miraculously already there for you, and that's how you got the candy. And then somehow, after all of this effort by everyone else in the community, you think the candy is just for you. It's mine, mine, my own. It's my candy. And so the candy takes on a life of its own in the ownership of this little kid. And this is similar, I think, to the way we all view our resources. We have these beautiful, wonderful jobs, these jobs that some of us are passionate about and some of us just get through. But whatever the job is, we act and we believe and we we feel like, hey, I've done the earning. I've done the work. And yes, you've done a lot of work. And yes, you do have the skill set. But that skill set was one that you've either been blessed to get an education for. It's one that God gave you innate talent and ability to do. It's one that society values at a certain level more than maybe other opportunities that people have because the person cleaning the floors as opposed to the person who is operating at the desk is it's a very different valuation and that has nothing to do with you it has everything to do with the society that surrounds you and so even our resources even our income is not something that's purely built on the back of our own sweat blood and tears and hard work uh, it's built on a society that values things. It's built on an education that was provided by someone else. It's built on a work ethic that was given to us by someone. It is built on talent that was given to us by God. We didn't create ourselves. And so, so much of life, so much of our resources, we tend to think are mine, my own. They're for me. I should be able to do what I want with it. When in reality, it's all been a gift. It's all been a grace. And yes, you've participated in that. Just like the kid walking up the sidewalk and pushing the, the doorbell, you've done work. You've had to step up. Yes, of course that is the case. But so much of what goes into our own building of wealth, our own building of security, our own building of stability is not up to us. So much of it is because of the luck of the draw of how we were born, what, what we were born with, the resources we've had, the upbringing that we did. And we've put in the work, we've done the hard stuff, we've done the learning, and we've also been blessed to get here. It's a combination of a lot of different things. And so we tend to gravitate towards a scarcity mindset where it's like mine, it's my own, as opposed to seeing it all as gift, as seeing it all as grace, as seeing it all as an abundant opportunity to, yeah, we need some security. We need to have the ability to, to live and to operate and to afford certain things. But also, it's a gift and it's a grace and there are many others who might not have it. Because here's the thing about this abundant mindset versus a scarcity mindset. There's a lot of us that believe in abundant mindset. We believe that's the right thing. But really, it comes down to practicing that matters. A lot of us will believe in something, but the question is, do we practice that thing? There's another story in Scripture that I want us to 
jump into for a minute, just for a minute. And and one of the themes of all of these stories that we're going to be reading uh, throughout this series on what the church is, they're all going to have the number seven in them somewhere. And so I want you to be listening for the number seven, because the number seven is an important number. We'll talk more about it next week. But the number seven, the rhythm of seven, the idea of seven is going to keep coming up. And so the story I want to read to you comes from the book of John chapter 2. And this is early in the life of Jesus. It's before he's even stepped on the scene and started to preach the good news. It's before he's been baptized. It's before any of the big moments in his life have happened. And so here's what we read in John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Jesus can already tell his mom's up to something when she comes to him and says they have no more wine. And he's like, you know who I am and you know what I'm about, but I'm not ready yet. It's not my time. I'm not about to just start doing miracles. So don't involve me. And here's the thing about Mary. Mary does not get into a debate with Jesus. She's not about to challenge him. She's not about to tell him, oh, come on, you can do this. Instead, she circumvents the conversation, turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars of water, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. Because at a wedding, there'd be the person in charge of the wedding, person in charge of the food, the wine, making sure everyone was having a good time. This person had a lot of power and a lot of influence over how things were going to go. And so when Jesus says, draw out some of the water and bring it to the master, of the banquet. He didn't even have them try it. He didn't even try it himself. This is a risky moment because the master of the banquet's about to drink this ceremonial water and we're about to see what happens. So they did so and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, I asked you to look for the number seven, and you're probably thinking to yourself, I didn't hear the number seven. I saw six jugs of wine, not seven jugs of jugs of wine. So what's really going on here, Jason? Where is the number seven? Well, the number seven is actually not in the story, but this is the first sign that reveals the glory and the power and the grace of Christ. It's the first of seven signs in the book of John. And so two things I want to point out in this story that I think are so ama- that's so amazing and so important for us today. The first one is that it's a story of abundance. I mean, we're talking 20, 30 gallons of wine. We're talking seven jugs of these 20 to 30 gallons. So we're talking anywhere from 140 to 210 gallons of wine. This is wine for days. This is such a monumental amount of wine that Jesus transformed, this water that transforms into wine. It's, it's clearly, 
It's clearly a story of abundance. It's like, oh, you want some wine? Mom, mom, you, you want me to step up and get you some wine? The, the bride and the groom, they need a little extra wine after this party's been going on for a few days and everyone's a little drunk and won't even tell if it's good wine or bad wine. You want me to get you wine, mom? I'll get you wine. How about 140 to 110 gallons of it? Like, what if, is that enough for you, mom? You can almost hear Jesus being like, okay, you want wine? I'll give you wine. Here's, a, here's 210 gallons of wine. It's a story of abundance. There is enough wine. So when the party seems bleak, when it doesn't seem like there's going to be enough, when it seems like everyone's going to go away disappointed, there is an abundance. There's an abundance. The second thing that I want to point out about this story, why I think it's such an important one for what we're doing today, is that this is the first of seven signs that Jesus is, is the Christ. That's what John is trying to get at, that, that Jesus is the Christ, the, the, the Messiah, the one who's meant to save, the one who's the anointed one, the one who is God incarnate, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, that that's who Jesus is. And there are these seven signs, and some of these signs are huge. They're massive. They're they're dynamic. They're cultural. They're they're going to be they're going to be shifting of how people people view everything. And yet, the first one is this sign that happens at a wedding in Cana with a bunch of people that are so drunk they don't even know that they're tasting good wine. It's a nothing. It's a throwaway. It's a small moment. And yet John realizes this is a sign of who Jesus is. This is a sign that the Christ is among us. That even in this small little corner of Galilee, the Christ is among us. It starts local. It starts small. It doesn't need to be this big earth-shattering thing. It's about being responsible and showing up with abundance to the place that you find yourself. It's this, this moment of recognizing that, you know what? I might not be able, be able to change the entire world. I might not be able to solve you know, international politics and foreign disputes. I might not be able to cure diseases, but what I can do, what I can do is affect some change in my neighborhood. What I can do is affect some change in my own family. What I can do is make some change in my school. What I can do is make this environment a little bit better. It can be a little bit more filled with grace, a little bit more filled with forgiveness, a little bit more filled with love. It can be a place of abundance and not scarcity. Because that's what the, the kingdom and kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven is all about. It's about recognizing that we are a part of a story of abundance and not a story of scarcity. The last story that I want to tell you before we wrap up this morning is my son last year when we were trick-or-treating, he went around and got a whole bunch of candy. And when he got home, my wife looked at the bucket that she had in the house that she was giving out and it was down to its last couple pieces. And so she turns to my son and she says, hey, buddy, um, can, I, can I take your candy and, and put it in my bucket? And he goes, what? You're going to give away my candy? See, there's that, there's that scarcity mindset. It's creeping in on him already, right? He barely walked in the door and it's my candy, right? And so he's like, you're going to give away my candy? She's like, buddy, 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 I just don't have time to run to the store right now. I'm going to run out. I don't want to disappoint all the kids. Can I just use your candy? I will buy you a bag of your favorite candy. I will replace place the candy that you've gotten so I can use what you have. Like I'll buy you your favorite. And so he's like, oh, 
fine, mom, you can have it. And so he pours some of his candy in, into the bucket. And then she says to him, buddy, do you want to help give it out? And he's like, I can do that. She's like, yeah, when people knock on the door, just go ahead and give them some candy. And so these kids knock on the door and he opens the door and he sees this bucket of what was his candy, right? And now it's his candy he's supposed to give away. And instead of just giving out one piece at a time, because, you know, it's a scarce commodity, he looks at the faces of these kids and he's like, I know what will make them happy. He grabs handfuls and he starts giving away candy after candy after candy. He starts giving them more than my wife would, more than I would for, for crying out loud. I'm, I'm more of a scarcity mindset than he is apparently. And so he's giving away candy after candy. And at the end of the night, my wife's like, wow, buddy, you are so great about that. Thanks for making such a good choice. What kind of candy do you want? And he goes, you know what, mom? It's okay. I didn't really need it to begin with. I didn't really need it to begin with. That's an abundant mindset. Recognizing that so much of life is a gift. So much of life is a grace that's been given to us. So much of life is not about trying to keep it all for ourselves, but recognizing that it's ours to give away. And so the invitation for all of us in this moment is to ask, what does it look like to be a people of abundance, to be a part of a story of abundance, where we trust that there's a rhythm, a six-in-one rhythm, that there will be enough so that we can rest, the land can rest, that people can experience equality and equity? What does it look like for us to be a people that don't hoard and don't have a scarcity mindset, but instead trust that there's going to be enough, and that even when we think we might need it all, we didn't really need it to begin with. What can we do to impact our community, our world, our little corner of the globe, our small little wedding in Cana? How can we make an impact that changes the trajectory of a community? Let's pray. God of the gift, God of grace, God of abundance, help us to trust that that there really is abundance, an abundance of love, an abundance of mercy, an abundance of justice, an abundance of community, an abundance of belonging. Help us to not only believe it, but God, help us to practice it. Help us to find ways to do it in our small little way that is possible, not in the future, not when, not if, not when I've gotten to this point, but right now, God, help us to be a people that can practice abundance. Help us to trust that the story of abundance is true and that you are with us. Because when we trust that you are with us, when we practice this way of abundance, we know and we believe and we will see that rest and love are possible. In the name of Christ, we pray. Hello, everyone. A couple quick announcements for you on Friday, November 3rd at 12 o'clock. There will be a potluck lunch and a presentation by Shoreview resident John Zuzukita. This is part of the Life Group activities, and John 
his family experienced an internment camp during World War II, and he shares a story about what his family went through. And although it's an incredible tragedy and filled with pain and hardship, it's a story that he shares with optimism and forgiveness. And so we would love to invite not just people that have traditionally been a part of the life group, but we would like love to invite everyone to come and participate and to hear this great story by John Zuzakita. Remember, there's a potluck lunch beforehand, so bring something to share and come at 12 o'clock on Friday, November Third, Coming up a couple weekends from now on Saturday, November 11th, the trustees will be cutting down some trees and we will be clearing some space from uh, some of the oaks in the back that are needing to come down. And so if you are able to help on Friday or Saturday, if you are able to help on Saturday, November 11th, starting at nine o'clock, we would love to have you come. And then Sunday at three o'clock, we need to move the chairs out of the sanctuary. It will be getting a nice deep carpet clean, and we are going to hopefully get that place looking sparkly going into the holiday season. And so if you can come at 3 o'clock on Sunday the 12th to help clean up um, and move the chairs out of the way, we would greatly appreciate it. This morning we also pause for All Saints Sunday, a day in which we light candles and ring the bell in honor and remembrance of those in our community or those who are close to people in our community who have recently passed away. Grief is not far from many of us, and we want to love on and care for and create room for those who are grieving because we trust in a God who mourns with those who mourn and that we are called to do the same. And so we want to pause this morning and just remember that grief is near but so is love and so is community and that we will journey through this time together. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.